forever. Dog. Any actor who's listening, I just want you to know, if no one has told you, table reads are not for you. They are not for exploring the character. This is your fucking screen test. And if you don't do this right, you're going to get fired. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or that one episode of Charmed where Holly Marie Combs, Alyssa Milano, and Rose McGowan turn into demon dogs and attack me. Yeah, I get better. We continue Halloween month with our guest this week, Brooke Smith, who you, of course, know as Catherine Martin from Silence of the Lambs, the girl in the well. But she's also been in Vanya on 42nd Street, had a big, big arc on Grey's Anatomy, Big Sky, Bosch. So many interesting credits. Couple caveats before we begin. The audio quality is not quite up to snuff for the first 12 or 15 minutes or so. Sounds a little more phone call-y than you are perhaps used to from this podcast. We apologize. The situation corrects itself shortly. Also, Brooke and I spend a fair amount of time talking about New York City hardcore punk in the 80s. We were both involved in the scene, her more than I, and uh, it leads us to some interesting places. Do not worry, Grey's Anatomy fans. We got you. We get to it. Please welcome Brooke Smith. Uh, I'm really excited uh, that you're here. I've been a fan of yours for years, and I, I, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I barely know where to start. But we're going to start with the very beginning, I suppose, and we're going to go okay. back to New York. We've had a lot of people on this show who are the the child of actors, mm. but I believe you're the first person we've had on the podcast who's the child of a publicist. <laughs> and I'm wondering how that sets up the business for you, how that. What did you learn having a mom who is in that line of work? Wow. Um, I'm still learning, okay. by the way. <laughs> like, it's too bad that my mom's gone because, I mean, I don't know if your mom's still no. with us. But no, she's there, not, no. you, don't you have all those moments where you're like, God, I wish I could tell my mom this or oh, whatever. constantly. Constantly. Um, yeah. Like, Harvey? Oh, my God. I was like, <laughs> can I just, like, call my mom or send her an email in heaven or whatever and... Yeah. Um, yeah, I imagine. Uh, see, this is exactly what I'm I'm wondering. Like, what would her perspective have been right now? If may I ask when she passed? Um, you know, I'm bad with that, but I'm thinking it was it's been like eight years, nine okay. years, something like that. So um, not like the peak of social media quite yet. No, so but she, she was already saying like, you know, she could never do publicity now. Oh, interesting. Because her clients didn't want press. That was the whole thing. <laughs> like they didn't. It was kind of the opposite. Like they didn't. They wanted to have private lives. Right. <laughs> um, and she said that twenty-four hour, you know, just barrage of information all the time. Uh, she couldn't have dealt with. She said because she had this thing she always said, which I still say, which makes me sound like I'm one hundred and fifty. Um, Wait, I got to get this right. Today's newspaper wraps tomorrow's fish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, and it's not totally, it is still true, but, you know. It is still true to a certain extent. I mean, I think that people, 
Um, there are some newspapers that seem to be just a bit more durable than that, or some stories that uh, that hang around a little bit longer. So who did she? Who did she? I know she handled. Um, did I read that she handled Redford for a while? Like his entire career. I mean, oh, until wow. she left. Yeah. Who's who's been amazing at keeping his private life out of like I have, I can't even think about his marital history. I, I can't summon anything. She was a, clearly amazing at her job. Well done, mom. <laughs> um, and then you know Sean Penn back in the day when he used to like hit photographers and stuff. Wow, you know, that was mom. And uh, <laughs> but then all the way back to Marilyn Monroe. I don't know if you've heard of her. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she was around a long time. Wow. And getting back to what I learned, mm-hmm. um, it's funny because I've just come off this DIY ME campaign, which didn't work, <laughs> whatever. Um, and I just remembered recently when it dawned on me that people campaign for awards. And I don't know when Moonstruck came out. Yeah. But that's that's when I realized I was like, oh, Cher, who my mom was handling during okay. Moonstruck. <laughs> you know, it's not that she wasn't good. She was fantastic. But I just went, oh, I thought it was just like if you're the best, you know. I uh, yeah. Somebody um, pointed out that People magazine's 50 sexiest men should be called uh, 50 most industrious publicists really early on in my career. And that relaxed me immeasurably. Um, Not that I ever planned on being a sexy uh, man in people, but it was nice to know that like, it's not a meritocracy necessarily. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And that's good that you found relaxation in that. Oh no, I I mean, because it just reminds you that there's things that are completely out of your hands, you know? And, and I, I imagine, I mean, I mean, I hope, I would hope that would be the best takeaway for having a publicist mom is you're like, okay, the lunatics are running the asylum. I'm just going to do the work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just still a little daunting nowadays when you come up against it. Cause I even learned so much on this campaign. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I guess if you spend a lot of money on advertising in a trade magazine, they're more likely to give you the cover. Right. That makes Stuff sense. Like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are you on social media? I am. Okay. I am. Do you, I, do, you, do you see its value or do you think it's a time suck or? I think both. Okay. I, <laughs> I definitely, I, I was saying last night, I love the word doom scrolling. <sighs> I don't like that I do it, but it feels like if you even go on, you're going to be doom scrolling because what else is there? I don't know how to just check in and then put it down. So what I will literally do is throw it across the room, not in anger, but just so that it is out of reach. Yeah, that's smart. And um, and then I will misplace it for a while, which is also a good thing. I will forget that I've thrown it across the room because I'm getting up there. And it uh, it is uh, uh, very liberating, I find. Yeah. I mean, and then the good news, if it is good news, but it is doom scrolling. I've spent a lot of time, especially this week, doing deep dives on politics and specific African countries. Okay. <laughs> and even that there's publicity, right? There's like, you know, who do you believe and who yeah. are you getting your news from and what's really happening? And Governments hire public relations firms all the time. Yeah. 
Governments constantly hire public relations firms. Um, this is a tangent, but a friend of mine used to do a bit back in the early aughts where he was uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, um, PR guy. No. Um, right after 9-11, he had this whole bit about like, now granted, 15 of the 18 hijackers is a big number, a little more than half, but <laughs> it was... But there's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. So so it's it's like 1986 when you really understand the full... Oh, you looked it up. Look at you. Uh, no, I, I, I'm afraid I know it around the top of my head. I, oh, I, okay. Uh, that's there's a reason I'm I'm hosting podcasts like this, and okay. uh, and and you know not something actually useful to the world. So it's around '86 or so. This is yeah. when you learn. You're in. Uh, are you in high school? Yeah, I think I'm graduating that year. You'd think I would remember the year I graduated, but I think it was that year. Were you dead set on becoming an actor already? No, but I still kind of knew I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a punk band. I was in a hardcore punk band in New York. Oh, we're coming to that. Okay. Oh, we're <laughs> well, coming But I'm to saying that. 86, I'm thinking, where was I? Uh, yeah, New York, Lower East Side. Were you going to, I, I have you going to high school a little bit upstate, Westchester County. Not even Westchester, across the river. Okay. Tappan Zee High School. Tappan Zee High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which I guess, did they call it the Cuomo Bridge now? I have no idea. I haven't lived there in 20 years. Oh, um, I reject probably, the name of that bridge. That's I, 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 I'm still calling it Shea Stadium, so don't mm. look at me. Um, yeah. Me too. I saw the Who's last tour there, and I think that was probably in 84. Oh, my God. Was that the one where the Clash opened up? Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yes. What a gig to have. I mean, that's like, that's a time machine gig for me. Like, that's one of those ones that I, if I could do anything, like, yes, yes, kill Hitler. But the main priority (laughs) is the Clash opening for The Who. That must have been incredible. It was pretty great. And because my mom was a publicist and she knew someone named... Oh my God, I'm going to pull this out. Ron Delsner, I want to say. Yeah, Delsner was the big promoter in New York. He got us. We were in between the stage and the front row. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yep. That is a legendary. And we followed them back. I mean, we weren't groupies. We were, you know, fat, sad, suburban girls in garbage <laughs> bags. But uh, we followed the clash back to Gramercy Park Hotel and sure. hung out with them. You know, like you do. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. All right. You know what? We're going to we're gonna put the acting on hold for a moment. Now, true mm. or false, you were one of the Warzone women? I was. And that I am. is phenomenal. Now, for I can't my, believe you know what that is. Well, I grew up in New York City and I'm 50. Um, and I would, I, I will not in under any circumstances claim to have been part of that scene, but I would go to those shows all the time because it was the only game in town in the mid 80s was that. New York hardcore. If you wanted to go to punk shows, that was, you know, they were going to be on every bill. Um, all those bands, um, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuit, Side by Side, all those guys were um were playing constantly. And it was such an interesting, interesting time. Um, how'd you get into to punk? Was it that clash uh who show or or no, I mean, I was pretty dark. <laughs> I was pretty, I had issues. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I have to write the foreword because I have a book of photographs of that time coming out. You do? Yes. What's it called? Well, I can't call it what it was going to be called because there's another book now called Matinee. I was going to call it Sunday Matinee. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but I don't know what I'm going to call it now. But anyway, yeah, I wonder every- if we, I, I started going in 87 once I turned 16. I, I bet we were at some of the same shows. That's crazy. Oh, I guarantee it. And guess what? I was the co-check girl at the Ritz. Shut up. So I'm sure. And this is the, this is the, the Ritz that it was the once in future Webster Hall on 11th street. Yes. And even when we went up to, was that studio 54? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Even that. You were up there too. I saw I saw a Super Bowl of hardcore up there uh, at the fifty four space. Um, fuck, what is that? Eighty nine or somewhere in there that was insane. The bill was just ridiculous. Uh-huh. It was like just, everybody's it, listening, going, "Oh my god, these old people." Well, no, I, I mean, if you if you if you tuned in to hear Grey's Anatomy stories, we are absolutely going to get there. But oh, um, but you're going to stick uh, around. But you're gonna you're gonna sit tight while we talk about uh, New York hardcore for a moment. First off, what was your punk band called? Oh, well, you know, I was in a bunch. Okay. And do you have a favorite? None of them, none of them were great. Let's face it. Did you, and did I read, did you play bass? I did. I played not, bass. Not well. No, that's okay. It's a punk band. <laughs> yeah. And I sang. And then, but I was like fat and like I said, had issues. And so I'd rather just take pictures. Oh, Okay. That's what I ended up doing. So when I was like with, I'm talking like bad brains, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. chrome eggs, agnostic fronts, you know, you mentioned all the straight edge bands. I, I did noticed. mention all the straight yes, edge bands because I was pure as the driven snow at the time. Yeah. And then I wasn't. And now I'm, I'm, I'm straight edge again. Um, well, good for you. <laughs> thank X's. you. X's. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally X'd up as we speak. This isn't a visual medium, but trust me. Um, mm-hmm. To the X, I'm crucified. Um, wow, we just got super deep, and I lost a bunch of people. I lost a bunch of Grey's Anatomy fans. <laughs> All those Grey's Anatomy, they're like, we'll come back. <laughs> I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, what um, What did, if anything, being involved in that scene teach you about acting? The first word I thought of was authenticity. Mm. Um. That's My neat. husband, he grew up in Soviet Russia. Yeah. And when he he's a, he's a these, cinematographer, is that right? He was. He was. Oh, okay. He's a writer now. But okay. um he said that in his opinion, the New York hardcore scene was sort of the last time people were just doing it for themselves and not to get rich or famous. Certainly in New York, yes. So that was the first thing I thought it was like just doing your thing for yourself. And you know, what's the question? Um, no, that's it. That's exactly it. It was what, yeah. what did uh, being in, uh, in, in the punk scene and the hardcore scene teach you about acting? And, and you said authenticity for me, it was always, um, it was definitely that, that sense of, of sincerity Mm-hmm. that that went through and, and I mean occasionally tumbling over into this sort of you know humorless earnestness sometimes as well but but what I also loved was how permeable the division between performer and audience was yeah yeah because I remember having absolutely no business wandering backstage at a youth of today show yet ending up backstage at a youth of today show or ending up in in Dag Nasty's van um 
and in the van, (laughs) in the van, just being struck by the fact that like, oh, this isn't. I mean, like my friends who like Duran Duran are never going to get this opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're just, we're just. I don't know, here. early all... days at the Peppermint Lounge. Perhaps, maybe, but yeah. not likely. And it was, um, uh, it was remarkable. And I think when it came time for me to decide to be an actor, I was like, well, I mean, there is no, there is no curtain. There is no division between performer and, and, uh, and consumer. And I might as well just hop up there. So what, so to, to segue back into acting, you you leave high school and you're pretty sure you want to do this for a living. Yeah. Had you I done mean, plays I kind in of high school? Always, yeah. yeah. And I kind of always knew. I mean, I'm sure, you know, an analyst would have a lot to say about that because, you know, my mom was always off with actors. Uh so anyway, but I did do oh, wait, plays so in, in high are school. You, are you are you suggesting that this was you trying to get her attention? Maybe. Okay. I mean, I don't Maybe. want to get too, like, too, you know, uh, Oprah I know, here, but... Uh, I know exactly, right? Um, and, yeah, I did Sweet Charity in high school. Amazing. Um, in fact, I just thought of a time when I was uh, on LSD. Sorry, I was not straight edge. I gathered, yes. Okay. And uh, and all, And I kept asking my friend, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? And then I was like, oh, my God, I have rehearsal. <laughs> And I went to the high school and I was late to rehearsal. I was playing Nikki Pignatelli in Sweet Charity. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you're late, get on this chair. And they gave me a cake and I was supposed to sing a song and I was tripping like crazy. And it just stopped the LSD. I became totally sober. It was the weirdest really? thing. Yes. So just like a rush of adrenaline or something just squashed the acid. And then it was like, okay, I got to sing a song. I'm Nikki. I'm on this chair. This is a party. This is the scene. Isn't that weird? That's fascinating. Mm. Anyway. Your, yeah, your so, own body's drugs fought the, uh, the, the stuff that you had ingested. I, I guess. That's wild. Isn't that weird? I never tried it again. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't advise it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I've always been straight edge when acting. I will. That's say. good to hear. That's good to hear. Excellent. Let the record show. Brooke doesn't show up to work fucked up. Okay, great. <laughs> really proud of you. Um, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Uh, um, on the back. <laughs> what um what happens after after high school? Did you go to the uh, American Academy immediately or? I did, and they didn't ask me back. I still have the letter saying that therapy was available. If you know, it was very hard for me to accept the rejection. Uh, and I remember them being like, you can't do Spoon River. You're like 200 pounds and you have purple hair. Like, mm. no. Oh, well. You could absolutely uh, do a, a Spoon River now with uh, with 200 pounds and purple now hair. Now I could. It would be, a, you know, Ivo Van Hove would direct it and it'd be fantastic. Exactly. What, um, what, uh, so you were there for, for how long? One year. One year. And they, and they, they, they didn't ask you back. Mm-mm. Really? So then what yeah. happens? So then, I mean, I was briefly a bike messenger (laughs) in New York. I don't know how I lived through that. And then my first job, the moderns, uh, I got on a train, uh, that was definitely nepotism. My mom knew Alan Rudolph. I was going to say that's, uh, Uh, is that, is that Keith Carradine? Yeah. Yes. Right? Wow, yeah. you're good. And Jean-Via Bougeau. Oh, Jean-Via Bougeau. Come I just like hearing on. her name pronounced. 
I mean, <laughs> so cool, right? Yeah. Uh, so I had to, the deal was if Brooke gets up to Montreal, we will Taft Hartley her and get her into the movie. So that was my first, uh, my first job. So for our listeners at home, Taft Hartley means you, you, uh, you have a couple jobs where you can waive union membership. Um, and which is nice because sometimes you can't afford to join the union because you haven't yet worked. Um, and I, I relied on Taft Hartley for my first couple of gigs as well. Um, so that had to be insane though. I mean, going on to an Alan Rudolph film in a foreign country with a mm. bunch of really established actors mm. was that, were you, were you young enough to not be intimidated? I don't remember being intimidated, I have to say. Beautiful. I remember being really excited, especially with the period and the makeup and the hair and the clothes. And that's when I met Wally Shawn. Oh, okay. So that's the connection. All right. Yeah. The first Um, time I met him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, uh, I want to talk. Let's let's skip over. We'll come back to silence in a moment, but I want to skip over then and and talk about Vanya, um, which I actually saw. I did a, a... a Brooksmith Film Festival this past week anyway, but I had seen, I, I watched Vanya during the beginning of the pandemic uh, last year because it just had been a while and yeah. it holds up so well. And it's such a fascinating piece of work. Now I know that, I know that you guys worked on that for, I mean, over a year, didn't you? Before it actually, before you put it on its feet? Oh yeah. We rehearsed for four to five years. Four to five years. Yeah. Whenever we were all in town, kind of like a band, you know? Okay. Uh, originally, we were just going to do it for a summer, and then we all liked it. And then it was like, when are we all going to be in town again? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kept doing it. And then somebody saw it. I think it was Andre's wife and said, guys, this is really good. Like, you should start inviting people in. So that's what we did. And then we just started having these... Uh, you know, shows, performances, not really performances. There, the only rules were you had to say the words. No costumes, no blocking. Um, and we started inviting small groups in to see it. And then ultimately one of those people was Louis Mall. And then they talked about making it into a movie. And that's what happened. So, well, it's an interesting piece of work because we were talking about the last time New York could afford to be creative and here you are in one of the pre-disney desiccated movie theaters in times square uh it's this incredible time capsule of early 90s new york like the last gasp of the middle class in that city to a certain extent which is so fitting for a checkoff play i mean who knew right it's it's Wow. I don't want to Disney bash. I'm not going to Disney bash. Let's I do I've... want to. I mean, I have to say, I really do want to. Fair enough. But, uh, <laughs> I will say that Louis Mall begged them for two more days in the theater, and they did not give it to us. Really? They were in that much of a hurry to renovate it and get Lion King in there. So, yeah. oh, it was in that one? Was that, what is that, the New Amsterdam? Yes. Ooh, so... Good. Um, I grew up in the neighborhood. I grew up on, on and uh, you were straight edge, so you yeah, have a I, brain. So I remember left. it. Yeah, exactly. I was straight edge, and I, I I have retained a bit more of the eighties than some of my peers. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> the um, so when I ask about that about about Louis Mall's involvement in it, because for the 
you know, four-year rehearsal process, I'm assuming Andre Gregory is, you know, one of the most esteemed theater directors of his time. He's probably holding down the fort as, as director, but then Louis Mall comes in to direct the film, and they've obviously got a working relationship, but was there any conflict there? Were they able to work together? No, Andre would basically just go to craft service and fill up a plate and then go to his chair. He always had this special chair, this comfy chair, and, um, you know, and they knew each other really well. I did learn something important there. Uh, I remember Louis saying to me, because I was a young actor, and you know when you figure out how to cry? Okay. (laughs) I cried a lot. And he was like, you know, I know Andre likes it when you really let go with this, but I kind of like it when you fight back and, and try to hold it back. Uh, that was kind of the big lesson I learned on that one. Um, that actually leads me seamlessly to my next question. There oh, I this love that. Interesting trend in your work, um, and you can count, you can count silence, you can count um, Vanya, you can go all the way up to Big Sky of these these sort of delicate creatures with incredible reserves of strength that we maybe don't see until later on. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's, I mean, it's really, it, again, it helps to like have a, a weak crash course on, on Brooke Smith, Smith to notice these things, but it keeps coming up. And you, you watch a movie like Silence when you, when was the last time you saw it with an audience? Oh my God. With an audience? Like Probably. not just my kids. <laughs> um, I can't remember. I mean, maybe when it came out genuinely. But you remember that moment when she briefly gets the upper hand on Buffalo Bill and she's mm-hmm. got the dog and mm-hmm. the audience went fucking nuts because it was oh, so yeah. unexpected. And it yeah. was really one of the, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm not just kissing your ass. It's an amazing moment. And I'm wondering like, is there an emotional cost to do a, uh, uh, a film that intense? Were you able I mean, to leave I, it on set a little bit or was it the sort of thing that followed you home? It didn't follow me home while I was doing it, but it definitely there was an emotional cause for sure. And I definitely feel like I couldn't do it again now if I had to do it now. Interesting. Really? I don't think I could. Yeah. And sorry to get all analytical, but um, I remember me, Brooke, think being faced with the fact that I don't, I think I might've given up. How do you mean? Sorry. Like, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have thought of getting the bone and tying it on the thing and throwing the bucket up and getting precious and all that. I think I just would have freaked out and like knocked my head against the wall and died. Oh God. I know. I told you I was a dark fat kid. Um, (laughs) You know, I just... It, it it sent me into a lot of work on myself, is all I'm saying. Because I thought, why is it so hard for me to fight for myself? Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm starting to feel like maybe I should grab a notepad and you should lie down. But, I know. But if that's okay, if that's where this goes, that's where this goes. I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pry. But if it comes up naturally, then okay. <laughs> um is it the sort of thing, I mean, it's such a, an iconic film. I have not yet shown it to my kids. They're 13 and 11. We have okay. a couple of years before we... we, uh, we Good for you. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, how, I have to ask, how old were your kids the first time they saw it? How old? 
Um, I think 14. Jesus Christ. And the little one hasn't seen it yet. She's 13. Yeah. Okay. But the stuff that the stuff that the now 18-year-old uh watched when she was 14, 15, 16, yikes. I can't I can't even watch that stuff. Nice. She went from a Waldorf kid, you know, like no anything to like, you know, I don't know, all kinds of horror. People are into horror. People are really into horror. People are really yeah, into horror. Are. And I think they want it. They want their scares in a controlled environment um, where they can Why? pause. And well, because they can they, they they want the adrenaline rush, but they want to be able to pause and, you know, leave the living room and go refresh their popcorn or splash some water on their face. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think there are people enjoy the rush that horror gives them, but they 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 don't. They want it in a an environment where they have some parameters Control. and set yeah. some boundaries. Yeah. Um, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm oversharing at this point, but, uh, but that's what I've always found appealing about, about horror, particularly horror on home video where I can, you know, like, oh, I need to stand up and, and maybe take a quick rinse and then I'll come back yeah. to this. <laughs> um, quick rinse. <laughs> is it the sort of thing? I mean, it, it, it's an iconic role in an iconic film. It's not the sort of thing where people yell out catchphrases, to you on I think the they used to. Oh, they used God to. Almighty, you or, you thing. know, come up to me and be like, you know, my boyfriend does that thing where he tucks his penis in, you know, and you're like, okay. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, can't, I imagine Ted probably gets it a lot more, although I wouldn't say any of that to Ted. No. No, I wouldn't. I saw that. him in the street. No, I wouldn't either. I, I uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ted arrested me on an episode of Monk. Um, and I was uh, I was very scared of Ted. Um, there's just a quality about Ted. You worked with him again on Big Sky. Did you guys have any scenes? No, together? no, no, we never. It was a, such a bummer. Two ships. That would have been amazing. That would have been. I mean, it would have been absolute red meat for the fans. But uh, exactly, that's. A I shame. decided though. Little backstory that Marilee, who I was playing, mm-hmm. probably dated him in high school, and then moved on to Ligarski. I like it. She can pick him that one. Yes, she sure can. skip ahead a little bit to actually big sky for a moment was that was that the was that what you were running the emmy campaign for uh-huh awesome you're phenomenal on it and you're working with john carroll lynch who is phenomenal on it did you have any idea where they were going to take those characters no idea ever like even ever even like you know i got episode seven i didn't know what was happening in eight or oh nine god I kept sort of hearing these rumors. I don't know if you know, like when you're on a show and everybody's like, oh, I heard this and I heard yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big um, high school. It's a big well-paid yeah, high school. Yeah. Completely. Totally. So yeah, didn't know. Didn't know. Was it satisfying at the, I mean, it, it sucks obviously to, you know, get written out like that, but was it so kind of satisfying for her it to was. like gain her? Yeah. It yeah. looks like it. Yeah, it totally was satisfying. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was very anxious about it because uh, I got the, this is a spoiler alert, but I got that last script right before the holiday break. Oh, wow. And so I had the whole holiday break to obsess about that big scene, you know, and how the hell I was going to do that. And uh, yeah, so I was anxious. 
Well, it plays so well because you're not entirely sure what you I mean, you're, you, both of those characters keep you kind of on your back heels because you're not entirely sure what she's capable of. And you're not entirely sure how Coppice Mentis he is at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's a really exciting moment. But it comes back to that thing that Louis Mal told you. It's all you kept it very internal, which okay. I think made it really interesting to watch. Did you have um, did was that something you struggled with? Was it? Did you have a tendency to like? Oh, I can cry. I can really. I can really chew up the scenery here. Or have you always kind of tried to keep things a little more compact? Like on that specific job. On jobs in general, does your instinct take you towards um, maybe going a little more big and emotive? No. No, they don't. Okay. It doesn't look like that. Yeah, I usually go the other way, I think. The thing I love Um, about Vanya, and when I was talking about that inner strength that that the character has, so yes, it isn't, the, the strength that Sonya shows at the end of Vanya isn't her, you know, capturing a puppy or killing her husband, but it's her with this, like, this iron resolution to like, this is her life and perhaps it will get better in the hereafter. But right now this is where she is. It doesn't look great. I know. Sure. But, (laughs) um, but she, unless I'm mistaken, she gets the last lines of the play, you know, and, 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 um, which is a hell of a cast to have the last, uh, the last word in. Yeah. I mean, you're in there with, with Larry Pine and, and all these, these giants, but you have the final moment of like, this is where we are. This is our destiny. It's not great, but let's just get through it. Which I, P.S. I genuinely feel like that was my training. That, because what a gift to have that speech every night. And any time I tried to control it in any way, it wouldn't work. I don't know if that makes sense to people. I think it does, but it, but elaborate a little bit. When you say control it, you mean like... I'm saying like if like last night the speech went really well, then I might try to recreate what I did last night. And if I did that, it wouldn't work. Interesting. It was crazy. You just had to stay in the moment no matter what. You just had to. And well, once that, and so I got to learn that there because who who the hell gets to learn that? You don't get to I mean, that was like amazing to No, to you've got to you've got to learn that. by doing. You can't get that in a class. You absolutely can't get that get that in a class. It's so interesting because if you are tearing your hair out and weeping, that speech doesn't work. Doesn't work. That speech doesn't work at all. It's and when you're it. a young actor, that's kind of where you go, right? Well, you're, you're going to want to show like, off, and yeah, this is your moment, and this is your yeah. pin spot, and if you can't sing, this is your 11 o'clock number. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's so interesting. And um, the other thing about it was it was some kind of land in between film and theater because whenever we performed it, people were sitting five feet from us. They were never, you know, removed. So you never had to be bigger. Because they were right there. So that's interesting because you were doing theater but acting for the camera regardless or acting for the very least an audience that was framed pretty closely. Yes. Yeah. So that's different than most theater, I guess. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. They have to hear you way in the back of the house. Everyone is so wonderfully understated in that. I stopped Larry Pine on the street one time. Just to tell him I loved him. 
and Aww. and I startled him really hard. <laughs> oh no! And I felt terrible about it. I was I was visiting my mom, uh, so this is you know minimum five years ago or so, and I I said Larry Pine. He goes, oh. and I said I just really love your work, and he went, "Don't shoot." <laughs> He loved it. I'm sure he loved it, but I think I also, and again, you know, it makes me mad that he isn't mobbed every time he walks down the street to Food Emporium. Uh, he should only ever be stopped on the street, but uh, that's why I- Now, I, is this like a thing of us, the hardcore punk thing again of like, you know when your your favorite band would become famous and you'd be like, God damn it, now everybody knows them. You I know, still I, have that a little. And I have that a little still bit. mad. Still mad that Jenna Rollins didn't win and Ellen Burstyn won that year at the Oscars. You know, I'm just, you just sort of, those are the people that I go like, oh. Is that, was that the year she won for, what she win for? She went for uh, uh, Alice. The, the Junkie movie? Oh, no, no. Uh, oh, Alice and uh, up against uh, women. Uh, yes, uh, Woman uh, Under the Influence. Woman Under the Influence, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. That's a hard I mean, loss. You know, Jenna Rollins comes up on this podcast all the time. Oh, I'll bet she does. Um, is she is she one of yours? Is she one of the people that you you look to? Yeah, oh, yeah. actors and are generation. That year, nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. I have a framed letter from her, and the coolest stationery. It was like white on white with embossed, and it said Jenna Rollins Cassavetes. Oh, my God. And she wrote me this whole, because I wrote her a letter and said, you know. You wrote her fan mail? I did. And I just said, you know, I'm starting out and I saw all the movies and I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And not only did I not, was I not the only one, but you're actually doing it on screen. Like, what? Yeah. So, Jenna Rollins. And Seymour Cassell. Can we just talk about Seymour? Let's talk about Seymour. I'll I'll talk about Seymour Cassell to the cows come home. Let's do it. Okay. Wrote him a letter. Really? And I I said, I'm obsessed with Minnie and Moskowitz. I need to get a copy of it. Love that movie. He sent me a VHS copy. Shut up. Every time I saw him for his whole rest of his life, he would remind me, who sent you that VHS copy? Oh, my God. Unbelievable. And, That's you know, so I don't amazing. mean to get all sad and weird, but uh, the last year of his life, I know he was in a home not far from here and he had dementia and it was horrible and I would go visit him. Oh. I just, I don't know, I found out about it and I just remember being in there going like, what the fuck is Seymour Cassell? And like, did you, did you work with him? Uh, No. I would just always see him around. And I actually have a really good story. At the Milk premiere. Sorry, I'm all over the place. The Sean Penn Milk. Yes. Okay. Um, I knew Winona Ryder like 10,000 years ago, and I hadn't seen her in years. And I saw her at the Milk premiere. She was like down, sitting in the, you know, in her seat. And I ran down and I went, oh my God, look, I, I, I got married. And I pointed back to my husband and sitting directly in front of us, Dennis Hopper and Seymour Cassell. And without missing a beat, she said, you married Seymour Cassell? <laughs> I love that she gave you the benefit of the doubt that, like, there's no way Brooke did something as crazy as marry Dennis Hopper. So <laughs> yeah. let's at least yeah. assume that she married yeah. Seymour Cassell. I mean, she's, she's not, you know, crazy. She's not insane. Yeah. She wants a story, but she doesn't want that much of a story. 
Exactly. That is so beautiful. Was he near the end? Was he the sort of person where his long term memory was still kind of there? It's just the short term was now it's all gone. That's part. It was all gone. Oh, yeah, that it was, was really a lot. Breaking. And we, I went with my friend Mark Boone Jr., who you should have on your show. I'd love to. Um, he and anyway, he would tease Seymour and say, "Look, of course you're reacting to Brooke because she's a woman, you know, because he loved the women, Seymour." I also um, crashed Cassavetti's funeral. All right. I'm listening. You have my full attention. I mean, I wouldn't say, I did say, but I I didn't mean funeral, memorial service. Because it was like announced. I thought you were going to say, I didn't, I don't want to say crash. Um, no, but you definitely <laughs> oh, yeah. crashed. Okay. Oh, I definitely crashed. And P.S. It was not packed, which I was so like, what is happening? I couldn't believe it. And Peter it, it Falk, was It I was mean, in L.A.? All, yeah, it was at the DGA. Oh, of course. And uh, and they all just got up there and, and wept. Mm. It was unbelievable. That, all those uh, people. I mean, every it's not like nobody else has discovered them, but, you know, Ben Gazzara, Peter Fall. The, the, the Cassavetti's rep company, sort Oof. of. These were your people. Totally. Not, about a year before Gazzara died, I went to go see a screening of, of uh, Husband's. Uh, where he did a Q&A beforehand. Oh, my God. And and punctured myths. And, um, <gasps> and and it was actually my first time seeing Husbands. I got to see on the big screen with an audience, which was which is the way to see Cassavetes. I don't think he works on home video very well, with all due respect I to totally see sells I donation. I totally agree. Yes, yes. Um, because you're going to be, because it's so intense, you're going to be tempted to want to get up and walk it off a little bit. But you need to sit with these movies for the, yeah. as the director intended. Um, but, uh, it was incredible. And he was, he, on the other hand, a year before his death was sharp as attack, incredibly mm. sharp memory, had all the details down. Uh, it was really, really fun to, to just sort of be, it was like a time capsule, you know? Yeah. Cause he was the last man standing of, um, you know, that, that triumvirate of, uh, of guys. And yeah. it was incredible to hear him talk about that time. And he also said that, um, when they were all on Cabot together, you know, that famous, Oh my God, it's the best ever. I was just thinking of that. They swear to God, he swears to God, they weren't shit faced. He swears to God, they were just putting on an act. All right. I'm, yeah, I'm skeptical them. too. I'm skeptical as well, <laughs> but we'll never I know. Mean, now we'll never know. How exciting yeah. is that? <laughs> um, it's so funny how often Jenna comes up on on this. Um, uh, finally, mm. listeners, I want to talk about Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> they're all what gone. Is, what is, they're all dead. Um, <laughs> actually, a ton of the, the characters are gone. Um, oh, really? See, you uh, know. I don't I, know. The, uh, well, I'll tell you why I know. My wife is right now in the Grey's Anatomy writer's room. Um, Scandal. She is a co-EP on the 18th and possibly final season. Wow. Uh, but she just started, which means she binged 17 seasons over oh May and God. June. Oh, my God. That's um, too fast. May and June? Little, that's well, she, 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 she cheated Skim here and there. She, yeah, she was a little, yeah, the, the fast forward <laughs> button was her friend. No question. <laughs> but it's interesting. What is it like? I have a lot of um, guests who have this experience of coming on to a, a show once its phenomenology has been established mm. and hopping onto that moving train. What was that experience like for you? It was like a coup. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It totally was. I was just like, oh my God, they've made a mistake. They called the wrong person. So wait, a coup in the sense of you're the one overthrowing the government? No, like in the sense of like the popular people want the freak to come. You know what I mean? Like it's like as if the cheerleaders asked me to be on the squad, you know, it was just so weird. Well, what? Yeah. I mean, what is that like to be like a purple haired punk rock kid who shows up on what is a, a, a high caliber soap, but a soap. It's a serialized drama with very good looking people on it. Weird as hell. Yeah. For me, it was really weird. I just thought and I had. A really good friend, he's still my really good friend, who directed there. And he he was like, all right, now listen. <laughs> I want you to keep your head down. I don't want you to talk to anybody. Just go in there, do your work, don't be friends with anybody, and go home. Interesting. Which scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I don't know that that necessarily helped. Was that advice that you followed? I tried. <laughs> okay. You know, like you get in there and I don't know, it was just this weird, I mean, they fired Isaiah, you know, that was like a, and it was like a big deal. Like this That was while was you were there, right? That deal. overlapped. Yeah. Like I did the first, uh, the second and third season as like recurring, like his nemesis. Right. And then when they fired him, it was like, oh, right. Let's bring her in. Um, Interesting. Anyway, it was just a weird whole... The weirdest thing about it is I literally don't remember any storylines. Really? Except for some guy in cement. There was some guy in cement. Sure. And we were all working on him before it was going to harden so much that he was going to, like, die. And I don't even know if he he lived. I don't remember. I I watched a good one where you saved Paul Dooley's life. And you don't want it. No recollection of that at all. No recollection. It was just fun because I love Paul Dooley, too. I got to get Paul Dooley for this podcast. Did um, I save his his heart, obviously? His heart, yeah. Yeah, yes. you save. He's he's the grandfather of cardiothoracic surgery. This is just last night. I watched it. It's oh, fresh yes, in my mind. Yes, yes, and, uh, and you're terrified to put him under the knife because if you kill him, you've killed the grandfather of cardiothoracic. Yes. Um, but, but it, it all great. works out. It all works out. Um, but it was it was it's an amazing uh, bit of work, though, because you... You know, I know nothing about cardio- cardiothoracic surgery. I'm pleased. I was a, you know, I was an English major, for God's sakes. But it it right. the, it gets across the stakes. And about 20 minutes into the episode, I'm like, listen, she doesn't want to operate on the guy. Don't let her operate on the guy. She want, she, she has an out. She, I understand if he's going to die anyway. She doesn't have to be the one who's going to kill him, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you sold it. Oh, good. You sold the hell Excellent. out of it. Was right. it, did you, did you. How quickly did you lose anonymity on that show? How quickly did you, did it become like hard for you to go to say a Ralph's to pick up some groceries? I mean, it was pretty quick. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like when it's a show like that and it's like everybody's watching it on their TVs, like in their beds or whatever. It's all like, you know, like you're in their house. It's like they know you. Yeah. Um, that was really wild all of a sudden. And they, they don't like you if you're playing a non-likable character <laughs> or like the, you know, they, they're they mad at you. You know, why are you being so mean to her? You know, I'm just trying to get some milk here in the Ralphs and like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, yeah, it's pretty weird. Weird. It's, I, I wouldn't characterize her as a villain. Yeah, well, that character. a lot of people do. I see. Can't be unlikable, I don't think. 
I mean, I, like, I'm looking at your, uh, like, your character on Bosch. Okay. That captain. I don't know what the hell that was. Sorry. But <laughs> no, it's okay. I really didn't. I was like, why am I here? Because I just am, like, a mad person who doesn't like anybody. I have had those gigs. I have had those gigs. And I'm what like, happened to her? Like, where'd I she go? I was furious when, and it sounds like they're setting her up to take a fall, and then she vanishes. And I was very annoyed with that. I was Ugh. very, very annoyed on your behalf. I um, vanish quite a bit. I just want to say you're talking. Well, about what happened on Grey's Anatomy? You weren't happy. You weren't. Uh, it was. I, I still don't know. Still don't <laughs> you're going to have to. Oh, ask your wife. I will. I will try and get a straight answer out of my wife. She's getting cagey, <laughs> you know, though. It took no time say, at all for her to start. Like, oh, I'll bet, like a, right? A, a light blue wall of silence. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a weird whole. I still. I still don't know what happened. I still get nervous around the suits. I get nervous. Table reads. Oh my God. Any actor who's listening, I just want you to know if no one has told you, table reads are not for you. They are not for exploring the character. They're not for like, oh, let's just start a little experimentation. It's like, this is your fucking screen test. And if Mm -hmm. you don't do this right, you're going to get fired. You have seen, we have both seen people get fired after a table read. Horrifying. For either not being prepared or being so prepared that, like, mm, I'm going to f- have fun with this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea no. at all, no. No. It's so interesting that um, that sense, it, it's doubly hard on an hour long table read because you really have no idea how it's going because the dramatic beats are not going to land when you're sitting at the at, on a big conference table. Yeah. And there aren't too many jokes. Like I do yeah. a ton of half hour work. I know when a half hour table read has gone well. I know when I have done well at a half hour table read. I know when I have not done well at a half hour table read. There's a right. bunch of indicators. But I would imagine a drama table read is infinitely scarier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It is. It just is. I don't know. I just get nervous about all that stuff. And, you know, it's weird because ABC Disney... That's that was Grays mm-hmm. and Big Sky. There's also Big Sky, right? So you obviously haven't burned any bridges there. They had uh, you back. They had you back. I don't know. There's that weird thing, right? Like of I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking about creators of shows and how like I know like you want to get your show on the air. I get it. But you got to know how those people who are giving you the money are treating the crew. Yeah. I just think you got to know. You can't just be like, I don't know. I just feel like, do they need to take responsibility for that? I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have people who are not necessarily creative people making creative decisions. That's for sure. And that can be a little... uh, You ever done any writing for TV? Um, I wrote a show with David Milch. Really? Milch comes up all the time on this show. What was your experience like? Oh, God bless him. Oh, I love him. Um, I was in one of his shows, a show called Big Sky. And I was also going to do Deadwood Calamity Jane, but I was pregnant. 
Oh, and wow. Uh, so that will count as, I always ask actors uh, the, what the role that got away. Yeah. Calamity Jane. I could see it was Calamity. I mean, I love Robin Weigert. Love Yeah, me Robin too. Weigert. Me too. But I could see you tearing that role up. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, so um, you're working with Melch. And it was after I got fired off of Grey's uh, when he called and said, come have lunch with me. And he was like, you can write. He's done it to others, including Robin. He, he's done it. I know I'm not the only one. But um, he basically convinced me that I could write. And he just said, come to the office tomorrow at nine. We're going to start writing this thing. And we did. And I didn't know that when you write, you don't have to like type or write. You can just talk into a tape recorder. Right. So that's what we. Well, do. that's what he does. He doesn't. He doesn't. His hands never touch a keyboard. He's on his it back, dealing with his back pain and, and exactly. dictating. Apparently, yeah. So we would talk out. We'd like be like, "Oh, what if this happened?" And then she would say this, and he would say that, and then we did this whole thing. And then we'd get. He would give the tape to one of his people. We would go have lunch. Amazing. <laughs> we'd come back. It'd be all typed up. We go work through it. You know. I, I think anyway. you called it. I think you called it Big Sky. You mean Big Apple, right? Oh, God, yes. I meant Big Apple. Sorry. You have a lot of bigs in your career. There's bigs. Big. A lot of bigs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so what happened with that project? It, it, does Milch um, sort of uh, uh, shield you from network interference to a certain extent? Does, well, he, was, his- he wanted me to go in for the pitch and see what that was all like. But I remember at that time he had a deal with HBO and they said, what do you have? And he said, I have this and I have luck. And then oh, I wow. luck. There was something else that was going to happen that was in the ballpark of what we were going to do. Plus ours would have been gajillions of dollars. What was it? Um, It was like 1960 Democratic National Convention, a publicist. Interesting. Who, you know, works with Marilyn and Kennedy and, you know, all that. Wow. Yeah. There might be life in that still, though. There might be. I wonder about it sometimes. I'm like, so when does that? I mean, I've heard like shows sometimes, you know, keep stuff so others won't get it or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. Is there a time limit? And I don't even know. I don't know. I mean, it's a sort of period piece that isn't, you know, it, it's not so zeitgeisty that, you know, you can't touch it right now. It's, you know, what's great about it being a period piece is that, you know, it's still not going to be 1968 in a few years. So, you know, it, it, exactly, it could definitely, exactly. it could definitely But wait, you out. asked me, had I ever written for TV? Right. And then I went into this whole thing. So what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, it's, it's, you, you never fully grasp network interference until you've, you've developed for, for TV. Mm. And you start getting notes that are um, uh, that are consistently contradictory, and mm-hmm. uh, they want um, they want an edgy comedy with likable characters. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. Um, there's just so edgy we're going to get if everyone's likable. Exactly. Um, also, funny is likable, and yeah, it's just a it's it's. Um, and as actors, we are shielded from that, believe it or not, a lot of the time. Or we just get fired and never find out why. <laughs> exactly. And I have a question. Someone just told me recently, and I was like, you need to tell actors this, like under the whole category of like, don't relax at table reads. Um, apparently, are we not supposed to, if we're on a show, can't we ask the writers what they mean? 
I've never, I hope not because I've been doing that for years. I have too, but I, 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 I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily take them aside and go, no, no, no. They, I've never even know. met them. They're like in another country, literally <laughs> on big sky. I'm talking. Oh yeah. Like, you shot that in up in Vancouver, country. right? I'm in Canada. Yep. They're down there. I'm like, oh my God, I have questions. I look on the script, that person. Okay. Let me type. I got the email. All right. I have some questions. What do you think? I don't know. I just heard that maybe people don't like that. I don't know. I don't think they want you necessarily wandering into the writer's room. That yeah, no, I've heard. How could I? Um, it would be impossible if you're stuck up in Vancouver. But yeah. um, I, I think there should be a dialogue between the creator of the show too. and the actors. I'm trying to remember who said that. It was somebody like valid who told me. Like, I'm not oh, super. No, 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 no. I'm not super needy. I don't need to know where my my character went to preschool or anything. But if I've got a question that is not answered exactly. by the text in front of me, I reserve exactly. the right. Yeah, well, I mean, if I wrote something, I'd be like, yeah, ask away, go right ahead. I think it's okay. All right. All right. So we're just going to keep doing that. We'll keep asking questions. I think we're going to keep doing that, you and I. Um, okay. All right. Uh, excellent. Uh, Brooke Smith, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. This Aww. was awesome. This was such so a great. Um, and you know what's what's wonderful about this is um, because of this interview, I'm, I'm not going to forget the struggle and I'm not going to forget the streets. It's just for you. <laughs> That's just for you. We'll probably cut it. Um, There's no justice. It's just us. Mm-hmm. Rabies, RIP. Um, oh my uh, God. Hilarious. That was magnificent. Oh, good. Oh, I hope was I wasn't, so fun, you know, Brooke. as my brother would say, you're so fucking random. And that is an episode wrap on Brooke Smith. Now, if the whole conversation about New York hardcore piqued your interest, I sent Brooke Smith over to my friend Damian Abraham, who does the remarkably fun Turned Out a Punk podcast. They spend a straight hour just talking about New York hardcore. So if you want to hear more stories about roadieing for the Cro-Mags, head over to Turned Out a Punk. Damien is your guy for that. But I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. You can follow Brooke at the real Brooke Smith on Instagram and on Twitter. She is at I am underscore Brooke Smith. Forever. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? Mm.